Welcome to the broadcast of Riverside Church in Princeton, North Carolina. Riverside Church preaching Christ and Him crucified. For more information, check out our website at www.riversidefwb.com. Grab your Bible. You open up to the book of the, to the book of the Bible. You go to to the back at the back part. If you get to the maps, you're going too far. We're looking at the book of Revelation tonight. You need to tonight. You need to know who wrote the book of Revelation. What's the book of Revelation about? Who who penned it? Who's the author? Who's the who's the mouthpiece of the author? Well, who, well tonight we're going to answer most of those questions. The Bible tells us what God did, what God does, and what God is doing, and what God will do. And tonight in the book book of Revelation, we'll get started on this journey to examine this together. See, the reason we are studying the Bible here at Riverside, because we believe it's a, it's a reliable collection of historical documents written by, written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses that report supernatural events that took place and fulfilled a prophecy, is divine, not human in origin. We here believe that the book of Revelation was, is, is what God is doing now and what He will do. When we read the book of Revelation, it's going to explain to us the combination of all things. The consummation. Consummation is the definition of that is to finalize, to, to bring to an end, to finish everything. And we look at the point at which something is finalized or completed, and we look at the Latin word consumar, which means to sum up or to finish. Now, I don't want to put nobody on blast here, but I have a friend who's not here tonight. But this friend, whenever they watch a movie, they will get so enthralled in the movie, they will actually fast forward to the end to see what happens. I don't know if it's the anxiety or, or the, the stress of watching the movie, or maybe when they read a book, I'm not sure they would, but it seems like it would be their personality. They're probably listening to the podcast right now. They'll, and it's possibly, I might be talking about you too, that you'll turn to the end of the book just to see what's going on. Maybe you're at the beginning of the book and the damsel is in distress and the villain has her tied up on the tracks. And the hero is down the road tied up to a chair in a warehouse somewhere. And you cannot close your eyes to go to sleep without knowing what happens next. So you might flip to the back of the book and you'll see that they're living in a nice, beautiful little home with a white picket fence. And there's even a child there. So you know those things will turn out okay and you're able to close your eyes and go off to sweet sleep. This is the story here of redemption how it's finalized. We finally see as we look at the world we see how things have gone sideways. We see how things have gotten complicated. Sometimes even scary as we walk this life. But I want to let you know that Jesus wins. I want you to know that everything's going to be alright. Tonight we're looking at something called eschatology. Eschatology is the study of in things. The study of how things finish. It's a study. It's a theology. Ology. Esca means the ending. Ology is the study. And as we look tonight, as before we even get started in the book of Revelation, I'm going to let you know there are certain views that people look at the book of Revelation and it will distort your idea of what the book is about. For this is the book that's mostly requested by the most people who attend church. But it's the most book that it's the number one book that preachers don't want to preach. They don't want to be, to be people to get uh, disturbed by it. They don't want to divide anybody. They don't want to, 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 to discourage anyone. But tonight we're going to go hand in hand and start this journey together. But some of the things of eschatology that are man devised or man de- created are some of the, the, the theology 
theology and study that we'll look at are some like pre-trib. Maybe you know what pre-trib means. Maybe you know what mid-trib means. Maybe you know what post-trib, millennialism, pre-millennial, post-millennial, amillennial, prius, partial predest, and dispositionalism. Now you might say, what does all that mean? Well, it don't really matter. Because every one of those have one thing that culminates at the end. Jesus comes back at the end. And no matter where your stance is with the pre-trib, mid-trib, no rapture, all the rapture, the beginning of the tribulation, it doesn't matter what you think about that. The story tonight is really about Jesus. See, I I don't want you to look at the book of Revelation and, and be looking for the Antichrist. I don't want you to be worried about microchips and RF chips and uh, the government overstepping its bounds. A a charismatic leader stepping on the scenes, controlling the world economic stance and taking over people's lives. That's not what we're studying. The book is called the book of revelation of Jesus Christ. The story is about Him and Him only. I I want you to understand that some people look at a futuristic view, a historic view, a literal view, and a symbolic view. Those are all different views you can look at in the text of Revelation. However, in the end, Jesus comes back in every scenario. We as believers are waiting for the day when Jesus cracks open the eastern sky and He will reign forevermore. He's already reigning, but He will set up His kingdom here, tangible. And we as Christians will serve the one true King forever and ever. Oh, it sounds like heaven on earth, don't it? I cannot wait for that day. Church historian Ebius claimed that this author who wrote the book of Revelation, who was merely the, 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 the hand that went across the parchment, was John. Now most of us know of John. John was the youngest of all the disciples. But God, through the Son Jesus Christ, who was God incarnate, God in the flesh, a down-to-earth deity, hand-picked John. John was the brother of James, and their daddy's name was Zebedee. They called them the sons of thunder. However, around this time, around, around 34 A.D., about the time they crucified Jesus, there was an uproar in Jerusalem. John saw his own brother attacked by a mob of Jewish believers because he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. John was there when they took his brother and threw him off the side of the temple. The fall didn't kill James. So they ran a spear through him. And as he lay there dying, he kept preaching and praying for those who were coming against him. They ran him through with a spear again. And it didn't stop him. So they took off his head. So James dies. Does this deter John? No, the young John continues to go establish churches. To preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He faces persecution. He actually sees every one of the disciples killed for their testimony of Jesus Christ. Now you kind of understand the author, John, as he wrote the book of Revelation. See, John wasn't getting a, a, a best life now scenario. He's not getting every day's a Friday. He's not getting free burritos and money and rainbows and Skittles. He's putting his life on the line. And he's willing to do it. In fact, John was boiled alive by the emperor at that point. A Roman emperor got tired of hearing John preaching, so they threw him in a vat of oil. Crispy, fried John. As he was burning and frying in the oil, he preached the gospel. And through God's power and His providence, John stayed alive. Severely scarred. History tells us that John was then exiled to the island of Patmos. A slave colony where they were to be put to labor, to work, 
Even in his old age, he stayed faithful when his family and his friends were all being martyred for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine there are people who speculate their origin of Christianity is a a group of 12 marginalized, hardworking, callous hand men and tax collectors who come together and conjure up this crazy idea, a lie, that their leader, who was Jesus, was a fraud. But they're going to spin it that he really is the Son of God. Well, that means that all these apostles and disciples died for a lie. Many of us won't even die for the truth. But they were crucified upside down. Some were beheaded. Much like John, he saw every one of his friends die. But God's hand was on John. For he told Peter, what's it to you if I keep John alive? That's none of your business. As for you, you follow me. Peter really eventually died for the testimony of Jesus. Outside of Rome, he was crucified with his wife upside down because he didn't think it was fair or even noble enough to be crucified like Jesus. So he he asked the, the executioners, him and his wife, to be crucified upside down. So is it true that Jesus is God? Is it true that He raises the dead? Is it true that the blind can see and the deaf can hear? Is it true that the mute can speak in His presence? Can He feed the masses with just a few loaves and a few fish? Can He walk on water and speak to the elements and they bow down at His command? Is it true? It must be. The evidence speaks for itself that there are those who saw Him, touched Him, beheld His glory and knew that He's God. And John is one of those. Eventually, John is on the island of Patmos, and that's where he writes the book that we're getting ready to read now. Some historians say it took place around, he wrote the book around 68 AD, some say 96. The date really does matter. It kind of matters because I want you to imagine that if you, if you were someone who wrote about the last few years here in our, in our nation, about the coronavirus, if you wrote about it 10, 15 years earlier, some people would call you a prophet, a divine prophet. If you can name everything that has taken place, the six foot distance, the, the face mask, the vaccinations, people would say, you must be a prophet. If you saw it coming long before it happened. Or, if you wrote about it now and tried to pass it off as a prophecy, people would know you're a fraud. Or, if you weren't around in 9-11 when those towers came down, but you prophesied before it ever took place, people would say you're a prophet. Many of the things that we'll read in the book of Revelation took place. They took place and He had to have foresight. But it happened before it happened. He saw it before it took place. An example would be that the temple was not destroyed in Jerusalem until 70 A.D. He predicted it would take place two years before it took place, maybe even earlier. That is, if he wrote the book book around 68 A.D. But if he wrote it in 96 A.D., he was an older man, and he wrote about what has already took place. So there we already see discrepancy when the book was written. But then again, I want you to remember not to get bogged down by the details. For this book is not a puzzle book. It's not where we have to hold a globe in one hand and a newspaper and a Bible in another and try to figure out what's going on in the Bible by what's going on in the world. We don't use the Omega Code. 
I don't know if you remember or know what I'm talking about. A couple of years ago on TBN and much, much, much um, predominant churches, they actually had a computer code that would go into the original text and line up letters and pull out and decipher codes and predict the future. The book of Revelation is not a puzzle book. It's a picture book. It's an elaborate picture. You might not understand all the numbers. You might not understand the colors. You might not understand why this is taking place. And what what John describes are colors and his symbols. He sees all sorts of things. He sees a lot of analogies that are taken from the Old Testament. See, Christian, that's why it's important that you read your Bible. Not just in New Testament. You must have a firm grip on the Old Testament. There are 404 verses of the book of Revelation. And out of those 404 verses, there are 500 references that are found in the Old Testament. Those references are found in Isaiah, Zechariah. They're found in the Psalms. And now we wonder why people don't understand the book of Revelation. because they don't usually read those texts. Much like in Isaiah, this apocalyptic, when Isaiah wrote about the crushing of the nation of Israel by the Babylonians, he wrote in such a way, it's called apocalyptic. It's literature with symbols that mean something. And actually the symbols are more real than the things they represent. We can read in Isaiah chapter 13 how God will darken the sky, the stars will flee, and the moment that Israel is crushed by the Babylonians... We see that same imagery found in the book of Revelation. So you must understand Old Testament, Testament Scripture. For the book of Peter tells us that Scripture always interprets Scripture. You must know the Bible to understand the Bible. Cross-reference is key. Now that you have your spectacles on, and now you have the keys to the car, you are able to read the book of Revelation Basically on your own. You're saying, well, what do we need you, preacher? Why do we even need you here? Well, it's Pastor Appreciation Month. And I do hope you appreciate that we're opening our Bible and we're walking hand in hand. And we're going to study this together. So let's let's look at what we're looking at tonight. Before we do it, before we do it, there's more, there's more, there's more. The book of Revelation is addressed to seven churches of Asia Minor, which is the present day Western Turkey. The first letter is directed to the church of Ephesus, the city closest to the island of Patmos. The remaining recipients of the letter are Smyrna, Sardis, Therna, Pheramum, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. These are geographically form a round circuit. The reason they form a circuit is because in the middle is the island of Patmos where John was. During this time, there were more than just those seven churches. So the number seven must mean something. As you read through the Bible, you'll see the number seven pop over, up, over and over again. The number twelve will come up over and over again. The number three will come up over and over again. Pay pay, uh, close attention to those numbers. For they they are not really uh, so important that you miss the big picture. I've used this analogy before. As many of you know, me and my family, we love to go on cruises. And if you were to ask us, how was the cruise? What kind of room did you get? Did you get a room with a window? Did you get one with a balcony? Of course, we try to get the one with a balcony. 
And if you ask me, how was the view? And I'd simply describe the wood grain around the window. And I'd describe the carpet. If I described the drapes and the pillows. And I described everything but the view. You would have missed what you asked. Let us not miss the big picture here. Yes, there's numbers and symbols and angels. Trumpets and seals. All these things and vows. But the big picture is Jesus. Jesus. We read that a lot of this apocalyptic language, that the word revelation is the Greek word apocalypto, and it means to unveil, to open, to reveal. Uh, we've learned in the book of Genesis that God created the earth. In the book of Revelation, the earth passes away. In the book of Genesis, Satan's first rebellion begins. But in the book of Revelation... It's his last rebellion. In the book of Genesis, the sun, the moon, and the stars are for the government of the earth. But in Revelations, Revelation, they are for the judgment of the earth. Genesis, the sun, was to govern the day. In Revelation, there is no need for the sun. In Genesis, darkness was called night. But in Revelation, there is no more night there in Revelation 21 and 22. Genesis, the water are called the seas, but in the book of Revelation, there are no more seas. Genesis was the entrance of sin, and in Revelation is the exodus of sin. Genesis, the curse is pronounced, in Revelation, the curse is removed. Genesis, death is entered, in Revelation, death is no more. Genesis is the beginning of sorrows and suffering. Revelation, no more sorrows and no more tears. In Genesis, their eyes are filled with tears. In Revelation, He wipes all the tears away. Oh, this is good. Oh, amen, somebody. Genesis was the marriage of the first Adam and his bride. Revelation is the marriage of the last Adam and his church. Genesis, we see a a man city, Babylon, being built. And in Revelation, we see man city, Babylon, being destroyed. And God's city, the new Jerusalem, brought into view. Genesis... Satan's doom is pronounced. In Revelation, Satan's doom is executed. Genesis opens with a global universal view. Revelation ends with a global universal view. How God treats the universe with His creatures. There's no other book like this. And the beginning actually gives us a blessing for studying it. Like I told you tonight, as we study this together... Not to get bogged down on all the little details. Some of these I will, I cannot explain. Some of these I can. Some of us can speculate. As long as we use Scripture to back up Scripture, I believe we'll be okay. Let us not run from this. Let us walk together and study it together. You'll see numbers and sounds and colors. You'll see seven churches and seven seals, seven trumpets, seven signs, seven vows, sevenfold judgment, and sevenfold trumpets. But let us remember, it's really all about Jesus. As we look at the order that is given, God first gives it to Jesus. Jesus gives it to an angel. John gives it to us. We look in Revelation chapter number 1. Let us look together. Verse number 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. We begin there. And we could stop there. But we need to know what's being revealed. 
The revelation is the pulling back of the curtain as we see here which God gave to show His servants. We see there that God gave it to show. To show there means to pull back. In the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 12 verse 4, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book is what's said until the time of the end. But many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. But then we read in Revelation 22.10, And He said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Christian, if you read the book of Revelation and it's sealed to you, maybe you focused on too many of the small details and not seeing the broad picture. Maybe you're focusing on Apache helicopters and guillotines. Maybe you're worried about bomb shelters and nuclear war. And you're not focusing on the throne where Jesus is seated, who reigns over everything in His majesty and His power. And you see that He controls everything and everything's going to be alright. We see that God gave it to Him to show His servants. That God had to show... We can read the book of Matthew chapter 27 verse 51 and behold the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom and the earth shook and the rocks split. This is the moment Jesus has died. But the curtain was ripped. It wasn't ripped from the bottom. Do you know why it wasn't ripped from the bottom? Because if it was ripped from, ripped from the bottom, it's a 15 foot tall curtain and the only way that men could tear is from the bottom. But it was torn from the top. God opened the veil. Amen. The drapes have dropped. The scales are gone. And now we see the same thing here. Which God gave to him to show his servants. This is for you, servant. This is for you, follower of Jesus. Now we must look at the word servant. Here in the text, the word servant doesn't mean somebody who works with you, who goes to to your table at the restaurant and serves you dinner or lunch. The word here in the original text is doulos. It's the word that means slave. What we see in the book of Revelation is that He is King of kings, the Lord of lords. Upon His head were many diadems. His enemies are under His feet. He reigns forevermore. And we are His slaves. Slaves don't worry about what they will eat and what they will drink. That's the job of their master. A slave don't concern themselves with anything that does not concern their master. Doulos, slaves that are gathered here on a Sunday evening to study the revelation of our Lord and Savior. What are you concerned about? What are you worried about? Is not your master the ruler of all things? Does he not control everything? Is not the earth his footstool? Oh, Doulos, oh, his slaves. That is, if you are his, if you serve him. Do you concern yourself with what you will eat, what you will wear, what you will drink, where you will work, how you will conduct your life? A slave only concerns himself with what honors and pleases his master. Here, Jesus puts us in our place. The Holy Spirit reveals to us where He is and where we are. He is high and lifted up and we are not. We see here that God gave it to him. God gave to Jesus this information that will be shown to his servants. The things that must soon take place. I want you to focus on the word must. These must take place. When Jesus was speaking of his execution, he says the Son of Man must be lifted up. 
These things must take place. The reason they must take place is because God has dictated history. He decides what takes place and what does not. God has predestined and elected. God has pulled down rulers and He has risen up others. God decides and these things must take place. Even Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot or tittle of His Word will pass away until it takes place. These things must take place. This should bring comfort to you. Knowing that you didn't write the story, but you know the author. And He is kind. He is mighty and He is strong. He is your master. And you lay down your life's motives to honor Him with all your being. Here we see that if God does not reveal, then we would never know. We would be in the dark. We would never understand the book of Revelation. So He must illuminate. He must show us. He must open our eyes. He must breathe on the dry dead bones and they come to life. For He is the life giver. He is the path shower. He's the redeemer. He's the author and the finisher of our salvation. Him and Him alone. We don't project our opinion into the text. We don't look at it through our, our, our rose colored glasses and our ideas and philosophies. We take the text at what it says. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to Him to show His servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending His angel to His servant John. We read it. God gave in John 14.10 Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you are not what I speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does these works. There is no competition between the Holy Trinity. There is not Jesus trying to edge out the Father or the Holy Spirit and holy submission to each other. They honor each other in full submission and perfect harmony. Jesus submitted to the Father. And the Holy Spirit beckons at the command of the Son. There is no competition. You hear these preachers say, well, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the reason He made the earth is because He's lonely. He won't lonely. He don't need you. He's self-sufficient. He reigns over... He's not lacking anything. He does not change. That's right. So why did He create all of us? Oh, that's simple. You should ask that first. For His glory. For His glory. No matter if you're burning in hell or walking the halls of heaven, it gives glory to God. In hell, that means that He's just and sinners go to hell. But in heaven, if a sinner who's redeemed shows that he's merciful and gracious and kind. So we see the revelation of Jesus here. Is the curtains being pulled back? Are you starting to see? Are you focusing in on what this is really about? I know we'll read later of different things that we'll see or we'll be in heaven one minute. It's almost as if the story starts over and it repeats three or four times. Yes, it does. The book of Revelation is not linear. It's not on tracks. It's the story told over and over from a different point of view. We'll see it on earth. We'll see it in heaven. We'll see it from the whole perspective of history. In every one of the stories, Jesus reigns and crushes the enemies of God. He destroys sin. He casts the unfaithful into eternal damnation. He crushes the enemy. He slaughters Satan. And He reigns forevermore. Every time the story is told over and over, the redemptive story of history is the star. His name is Jesus. We see that we're doulos. 
that we're the slaves, we're not the, the heroes of the story. In the book of Revelation, it ain't about us. It ain't about our bomb shelters and our, 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 our bullets and how we have stocked up supplies. Now, don't get me wrong, it's, it's fine to be prepared. Boy Scouts are always prepared. There ain't nothing wrong with that. But don't have faith in your skills and your survival techniques. Have faith in Jesus for He reigns. Amen. Don't have faith in your government. Don't have faith in your vaccines and your face masks six foot apart, social distancing. Don't have faith in your last name, your trust funds. Don't have faith in any other thing other than Jesus. Amen. For those things are weak, they're feeble, and they will fail you. Amen. But He will not. He will not. He will not fail you. You will not slip through His fingers. He will not misplace you. He will not forget you. He reigns. Oh, He reigns forever. He, he lets us know that we're the doulos, we're the slaves. Even Paul reflects this in Romans 1.1. 1, 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. He, here in the original text in Romans 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, we read the word doulos in the original language, that he is a slave of Jesus Christ. He only did what pleases his master. Some of y'all have been slaves to other things. I know, I have too. I was held captive by something else and other things and other gods. And only the work and the power and the move of God set me free. So I will serve Him. Whether it's something you pour down your throat or shot in your veins. Or serving yourself and what you think. Being a slave to your feelings. We spoke about this morning. But when we have the facts... When we have doctrine, it dictates on how we feel. Now we know that He'll never leave us or forsake us. By any means, cast us out. That He's one who sticks closer than a brother. That He'll leave the 99 to find that one. That dictates our feelings. And we are a slave to Him and not the lust of our flesh or the things of this world. Here we see that through the power of the Spirit is to make known... It's for us to know when we read the book of Revelation. It's not to have us walk away with more questions than answers. It's for us to know that we can read this and understand this. Don't run from Revelations any longer. Don't run from Revelation any longer. Don't avoid this book. For this is our history, church. In Revelation 22.16, I, Jesus, have sent an angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. If you know your Old Testament, you know when He says, I am the root of the descendant of David. You know He's the son of David. But that's the prophecy name they gave Him all the way back in the book of Genesis. That there will be a son of David. The son of Jesse. When he calls himself the morning star, you'll know that comes from the book of Malachi because it spoke about the Messiah who come called the bright and morning star. Here we see in verse number 2, He made it known by sending the angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all he saw. In verse number 2, I want you to focus in on who bore witness. That John bore witness in the, book of, uh, in the book of Revelation, we see that he, he uses bore witness. He uses the word witness many times. But overall, he's, it's one of his favorite words, John. 
John uses this word almost 90 times in the book of John, the gospel of John, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. He uses it 90 times, 50 times in the book, in the book of the gospel of John about bearing witness. He was there. He touched from the beginning in John chapter 1.1. 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which you have heard, which you have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John was saying, I'm a witness. I was there when he fed the five thousands. I was on the boat when he spoke. And creation bowed down at his command. I, I was there. I saw it. The baby was dead. And he spoke and the child lived. I was there when he was at the cross. He bowed his head and died. I was there when me and Peter ran to the tomb. And we looked in and it was just bloody rags. And he was not dead any longer. I was in the upper room when he appeared and spoke to us kindly. I saw it. I touched it. I tasted it. He bore witness to it. Many people say that John was the oldest apostle. He died of old age. All his friends died for the for the testimony of Jesus Christ preaching the gospel. But he lived in old age. I don't know which is worse. Seeing all your friends and family die for the gospel. Or living out in old age. Wondering how much longer Lord will I tarry in this earth. While still standing behind pulpits. Establishing churches. Encouraging the weak and the feeble. To turn their hearts and their minds upon Jesus. I don't know. Paul even said. It's better that I'm here for you. But if I'm not I'll be with him. So I'm torn between two worlds. But John says, I, I, I bore witness to it all. I saw it. I smelled the iron in the air as he hung on the cross from the blood. I tasted the bread at communion and the wine that we drank. I, I touched it. I saw it and bore witness to it. In John 19.35, he who saw it bore witness. His testimony is true is what John says. And he knows that he's telling the truth that you may believe. Many times we take people's eyewitness accounts. We take, them in, we take them in high regard. You saw it? Okay, I believe you. Church, that's what you have to decide. The eyewitness account of John is in your hands. Do you believe it? Do you really believe it? That he walked with Jesus. He walked with Jesus after they killed Jesus. Do you really believe that he saw Jesus on the island of Patmos? We see here that John tells us he bore witness to God and to the testimony of Christ. Even to all that he saw. I saw it is what John says. Here we see the first beatitude in the book of Revelation. There's seven of them coincidentally. There's seven. Seven being the number of perfection. Seven being the number of the Sabbath. Seven being the day of rest. The book of Revelation is the book of rest. We rest in His promises knowing He's strong and mighty. Knowing that we don't have to strive to enter into heaven. That He has purchased heaven on our behalf. He has done all the work. There's nothing left to be done. We believe in faith alone. That in Christ alone. In grace alone. The Scriptures alone. And He alone receives glory. The first seven of the Beatitudes we read it in chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed. 
John is getting ready to bless somebody. He says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Oops, that's me. I'm being blessed right now. Because I'm reading it out loud to you. This means that the book of Revelation must be preached in churches and assembling together of other believers. Blessed. I'm being blessed. How is he being blessed? Well, stick around. You'll see. He says, blessed are those who hear. That's you. You're being blessed. I hope you're being blessed. If you believe these words. That He is high and lifted up. He's mighty. History is in His hands. He decides who lives and who dies. He decides what stars burn out. He decides what comets go which way. He is God over all the elements. He reigns forevermore. There is no wrinkles in His face because of age. There are no aches in His body because of pain and arthritis. They call Him the Ancient of Days, not because He's old, but because He's been around a long time. Even after you're gone, He'd still be here. Do you believe that? If you do, then you are blessed. He says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it. And, we see and, who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Here we read that the reader and the hearer are blessed. The teacher and the preacher are blessed. The listener and the student are blessed. There is no other book like this. Charles Dickinson is not like this. Mark Twain is not like this. There are books you can read and laugh, but they're not. Any books but this one that you read and you are blessed. Maybe your mind is so colluded with pop culture and movies and bad theology that you can't be blessed because your mind and your vision is clouded and you don't see the big picture. You don't see Jesus through it all. Through books like Left Behind, Bad B and C movies that conjure images of the Antichrist hunting down Christians, putting in cattle cars, taking them off to chop off their heads. Our theology is that we're going to be persecuted and killed and beat down and destroyed. And that's all we see. But if we see clearly, we see that we're blessed. Why are we blessed? Because there's one high and lifted up on the throne. One who reigns over all of humanity. All times. All issues. All situations. All weather patterns. All economical crises. All wars and all peacetime. He reigns over it all. So that's why we're blessed. But notice he says, you're blessed when you hear it. You're blessed when you read it aloud. And you're blessed when you keep it. See, that's where many of us, many of us, we drop the ball, we hear it, we read it, but we don't keep it. This is coming from the old, old English word. That's where we get the two words, be living, where we get the word believe. Be living. The way we be living dictates what we really believe. If you believe that He reigns, if you believe that He's God over everything, if you believe that you'll give an account for your life, that's the way you'll live. There are those who are Christians in name only. Their names are on the roll of the church, but their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life that we'll get to in the book of Revelation. To 
churches have many members but not many converts. They don't believe it. Because if they believed it, they would live it. Be living it. Do you believe it? Everybody believes something. Some people believe anything. As long as Jesus is involved, they'll believe it. I challenge you to believe the eyewitness account of John. I challenge you to believe and hold dear these words that we'll read together. In John chapter 8, verse 51, if you're taking notes, be sure to write this one down. John 8, 51. Truly, truly, this is Jesus speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. He keeps his word because he believes it. He does it. You can, you can say, well, I don't believe in gravity. I don't believe in it. It's something made up by the government. It ain't true. It's a conspiracy theory. Jump off a building. You'll find out that it's true. Gravity is real. You'll find out at 55 miles an hour, it's splatting on the ground. Well, it must have been real after all. Sometimes we can believe false things. We can be sincere about false things. Sometimes we know the truth, but we don't really believe it. Does God judge sin? We know He does because we're reading the Bible, but we don't believe it. Does He honor those who read aloud His Word and His text, who hear it and who keep it? If we will believe it, we do it. It just so happens I believe it. That's why we're studying the book of Revelation together because there's a blessing here. I do hope you're being blessed. Do you believe what He says? Do you believe that He's God? Do you really believe? No, I'm, not just, I'm just saying that I'm comfortable in my pew, not going to be stirred or have any problems kind of belief. Because when John was writing this, he was writing on the, the island of Patmos. He had been burned alive and still walking around with his flesh scorched. There's even, there's even signs in history that they tried to poison him by force-feeding him poison, but he still walked among men. He really believed that Jesus is God. You didn't have to question it. His life was on the line. He saw his family die. He saw his friends put to death. Cohorts in his ministries were all dead. And here he was, the last apostle. And he writes this so you'll be blessed. The letter is in your hands. Do you believe it? Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and keep what is written it for the time is near. In Luke chapter 11 verse 28, Jesus is again speaking. He said, Blessed rather are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. Don't just hear me today. Believe me when I tell you He's God. Believe it. That your life is being examined by the one true God who sees everything. God has no blind spots. Believe it today when He says in 1 John 2, 3, and by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Not that you're a member of Riverside Church who occasionally attend, but you are truly His when you keep His commandments. When you do what He commands, you are His doulos and His slave. Otherwise you serve another and you are not His. You, you might fool me and make me think that you, you serve Jesus and you love Him. 
But there'll come a time when you'll stand before Him and either He'll say, Well done, my good and faithful servant, Dulos, my slave. Or He'll look at you and say, Depart from me, for I never even knew you. You'll respond, but I cast out demons in your name. I fed the hungry. I did great works in your name. Because people do that all the time. They do things in His name. But they don't know God. Jesus walked with the disciples. Jesus walked with the disciples. And one of them walked with Him every day. Judas. He saw the great and wonderful things Jesus did. Jesus was the greatest pastor who ever lived. And yet one of His members was a devil. So I don't blame the preacher. I only blame this preacher. If you end up in hell, it's because you were destined and wanting to go. You wouldn't do it. You wouldn't let anything get in your way. You want to go to hell. You're doing all you can to go to hell. Because booming from this pulpit week after week, three times a week, preaching the gospel, calling people to repentance, you ignore it. You stop your ears up and you run towards Him and damnation. You don't believe that He's a Redeemer and He calls you to holiness. You do all you can to go to hell. And I'm doing all I can to stop you from going. But I can't. It takes a work and a move of the Holy Spirit to take stony hearts to transform them and change them. Only God can do what I can. So I'll rent and I'll rave and I'll scream and sweat and spit to the point where I almost bleed. And I'll plead with God to save you. I'll plead with God to move across your heart to make you His slave that you will serve Him and Him only. Amen. That you would really believe that He is God. Thank you, Lord. And serve Him with all your might, heart, soul, with all your being. He tells us in verse 3 that time is near. This was written nearly 2,000 years ago. Time is near. Was it nearer then? For 2,000 years, Christians have read the book of Revelation. And the time was near every time someone read it. Well, what time is he talking about? Either the culmination of all things, where Jesus steps out of glory and sets His foot on the Mount of Olives, or the time where we close our eyes and we meet Him in glory face to face. The time is near. The time is more near today than yesterday. It's closer today than it was Ten years ago, the time is near. Each generation of Christian that came along, they read this and they were blessed. They had to decide, do they believe whether they're being and they're living? And you have to do the same. The veil is pulled back. There He is, Jesus, in all His glory and all His might. Sending an angel to His apostle, John. The one He called beloved, the young one. Now in his old age, with his body aching, isolated from his family on the island of Patmos, with tears in his eyes, he begins this letter because God has called him to write this letter. For God is the author. John is simply the instrument. And now we have in our hands that letter. For the time is near. 1 John 2.18 Children is the last hour. As you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So that many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. John spoke that the last hour is coming. 2,000 years ago, you might say. Church, He's coming. 
Him and all His might and all His power and His glory. If He decides to, to tarry and wait, it's really for our good. Do you not understand, church? If He puts it off, then there's time for us to reach another one with the gospel of Jesus. Do you hear me? There's time for us to tell of those who are set on going to hell that there is a God who will give them grace. There's time to reach our children. There's time to tell our neighbors. There's time to ring in the ears of complacent Christians that there's a God on the brink of stepping out of eternity and coming to earth to deal with sinners. There's still time. But time is short. What are you doing? There's urgency in this letter. Jesus is on the preface. He's on the edge of eternity. About to step into our time. But if He does it, maybe tomorrow you'll step, you'll step past this world over into glory and see Him face to face. He'll look you in the eye and if you can bear His gaze, you'll wait for those words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You did what I commanded. You did what I called you to do. He'll hand you a crown. But knowing you, your knees will buckle. You'll take off the crown and you'll throw them at His feet. Or will you stand there, your knees buckling and falling before Him, and as... His mighty angels come and grab you each side and pull you away from His presence. Not really His presence, but His glory. He'll say, depart from me for I never knew you. And you will go directly into His presence in hell where His wrath is predominant. Where He punishes sinners for an eternity. Either or. You cannot be neutral about this Jesus. There is no, I have no opinion about this Jesus. If you say, I have no opinion, then you chose a side. You decided to ignore Him. To live your life however you see best. But to the doulos, the slave of Christ, I will do all that pleases Him. I will honor Him with my life. I will serve this majestic King of glory. And all His might, He will empower me to do what He called me to do. So that's why I throw the crown down at His feet. Because really it's Him who empowers me. It's Him who encourages me. It's Him who gives me the will to do good works. It's Him. See, that's how our God works. He calls us to it. Gives us the strength to do it. And rewards us for it. That's our Jesus. There's a lot of stuff you might not understand here. Maybe you don't really understand for the time is near. I, I can't put that together, preacher. Do we use, use astrology and the stars? And do we use computers and decipher what this means? Do we get eight balls and crystal balls and look into, look into demonology and using a Ouija board to decipher what the book of Revelation says? No, we take it at what he said. A written testimony of John of what he saw. For the time is near. For we are but yesterday and know nothing is what Job says. 
For our days on earth are just a shadow. Is what Job says in 8, 9. Our days are fleeting. They're small. They're a speck of dust on the shelf of history. And God can wipe it clean at any time. The reason for your existence is not for you. It's not about you. The book of Revelation makes men run from it. Preachers shudder and imagine, I can't preach that. Because they don't have a full revelation. A full veil pulled back. A full understanding that it's about Jesus. It's about Him and all His might and all His glory. Maybe that's why we try to avoid this book. When we read this book, we see a lot of suffering. We see tears. We see hardships. In fact, I told you it's the same story told over and over. So really, it's not ten stories, it's five. They're on top of each other from different points of view. The same story over and over. The vows, the trumpets... They happen at the same time. The story of redemption is this. In Genesis we saw where man fell. And there was no way to get to God. In the book of Revelation we see where the veil is pulled back. And Jesus comes to us. Jesus saves the day. Jesus heals. Jesus helps. Jesus restores. No longer do we hang our head because we're burdened and tired and weary and defeated. When we read the book of Revelation, He wipes our tears away. And if you're crying, they better be tears of joy because He's a conqueror. He's a victor. He rules over everything. That will help you to walk out your Mondays, Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays, rainy days, sunny days, hard days and good days, knowing that He reigns over everything. He is my God and I serve Him and Him alone. Thank you, Lord. So we just got through three verses tonight. Just three. I feel like many of you want to run through a wall. Me too. Do you feel blessed? I feel blessed preaching it. So I invite you back here next week. As we only got to the preface, that's just the introduction. Not even the introduction. Next, he speaks to the churches. Some people say when we read the churches that that's 7,000 years of history of the church. Not really. We're going to look at each church. The struggles each church went through. Look at it in context using Scripture so we'll understand. For if Jesus wrote a letter to Riverside, what would it say? What would He write? We'll talk about that as we continue to study the book of Revelation together. I'm glad you understand that it's not the Lord's hour, but it's the Lord's day. And we gathered here today giving Him our day. He deserves much more than a day. Amen, somebody. Amen. So give Him tomorrow too. You can, do, you can worship Him no matter what it is you find your hands to do, do it for His glory. For you are His doulos. You are His slave. You honor Him and you live for Him. Let us bow our heads and pray.